Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. You know, my wife and I have been married over 38 years. And, yeah. And it's a good thing to have a companion a mate that is compassionate, loving, caring as she is, and faithful as she is. Over 36 and a half years, my wife bought me my morning coffee. When the alarm went off, she would get up, bring the coffee, set it on the nightstand beside the bed, without any complaints for 36 and a half years. But then I retired. (laughs) And she came to me and she says to me, do you realize that it is unbiblical for me to bring you coffee? (laughs) And I said, what? Are you kidding me? I've read the scriptures and I don't recall anything of the sort. And she says, it's there. It's there in the scriptures. And I said, where? It says it in Hebrews. Oh. I know. That was, that was terrible. <laughs> but that's the way it is. Things change. But I want to go on to say that many years ago, I was listening to a radio station and it had an advertisement on it or during it, inviting people to come to a Passover Seder, much like the one that Yeshua celebrated at the Last Supper. You had to register because seating was limited to about 200. I registered, and I attended. This was my first encounter with Tikvot Israel. About three months later, I came back. I came through those doors, and my heart, my heart was touched. I often tell people that I meet here that for the first three times that I came here, I wept through most of the service. You say, well, what moves you so much? Well, when I looked across the congregation, it's what I saw. I saw men, women, and children of many different nationalities from South Africa, Europe, Russia, Belarus, South America, and more. Standing in this congregation's hands lifted high and worshiping the Lord God 
with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it stirred my heart. But that may not have been so. If the Lord hadn't started his preparation in my heart long before. Because the Lord had put in my heart, he says, seek me while you can find me. Seek me and you will find me. And he put it in my heart in such a way as he was saying to me, he says, it's not necessary for you to align yourself to any one church or congregation, but to the one that speaks to you the most. So the Lord began to build something up in me, and it was that day that I came through those doors. I found a home. I found a reason. But the general premise of it all is draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Today, we're going to seek such a man who is king, whose heart was set, whose resolve was steadfast and serving the Lord in all his ways. King Jehoshaphat was such a king of Judah. And today, we're going to examine his reign. And I have three points. First point, drawing near. The second, divided alliances. And the third, reform and divine intervention. So today we begin with point one in our text. We'll start in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Verses 1 through 12. Slide one, please. As we begin to read, I want you to pay close attention to the underlying words. They are important in understanding Jehoshaphat's ministry. When Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel, and he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah, Judah, and gathered garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his uh, father David and did not seek Baal worship. But he sought the Lord God of his fathers and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established his kingdom in his hand, and all of Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. Also, now in verse 7 and 8, I'm going to do something a little different because we have a lot of names up there and the names are important. But in this particular case, it's not just the names. It's the office and the number that were sent. So I'm going to read it a little bit differently than the way that appears up here. So let's look at it this way. So in the third year of the reign of King Jehoshaphat, he sent out five princesses, his princesses, royal princesses. Um, in the bottom, or the end of that verse, to teach in the city of Judah. 
And then in the next verse, we read, and he, and he sent out nine Levites. And at the end of that verse, and two priests. And they taught in Judah. And they had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines bought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So, Je so Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful. And he built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. Slide two. My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. And I will sing and give praise. One of the questions I have to ask in this first part is what made King Jehoshaphat so zealous for the Lord? I think we could rightfully say that his father, King Asa, was the key element here. A father who, too, feared the Lord God and did right in the eyes of the Lord. We can assume that in King Azar's court, his officials taught his son Jehoshaphat all the ways of the Lord. And that he had Levites and priests also teach him the ways of the Lord to prepare his heart so that when the day came that he would take the reins of the kingdom, that he too would possess the zealousness of the Lord. One thing interesting that's missing from these scriptures that I find is that we don't see where there was a prophet that came to Jehoshaphat and says, if you do this, the Lord will be with you. And if you don't, the Lord will not be with you. We don't see that. We don't see any external act, so to speak, from man to worship, or I should say to prophesy for Jehoshaphat. But we know his heart. His heart was steadfast and true. Not only did he love the word of the Lord and the commandments thereof, in the same manner, it appears, that he was taught so he wanted all of Judah to be taught the same way. Let me send out my or the king's officials that taught me. Send them out. Let's send the Levites and the priests. Let's send them out. The ones that teach the word of God. And most importantly, let's not to forget to send the very word of God. The Torah with them. How important is this? Slide three. Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and he joined affinity with Ahab. Okay, you can take that one down for the moment. Joined affinity with Ahab. This is a short verse, but it goes, it says a lot. Let's say it that way. Joined affinity. What does joined affinity mean? Well, in this case, it meant that the son of Jehoshaphat and the daughter of King Ahab got married. Secondly, 
The marriage represented a sort of union that was mostly political and represented a treaty between the two kingdoms. Now, we just read that Jehoshaphat had set up fortresses against Israel because they were an evil kingdom. They were not of the Lord at all, not in the heart. So how would Jehoshaphat be deceived into joining a union, an unholy alliance with, with him? Well, I think this was pretty much King Ahab's doing. I can almost hear King Ahab saying to King Jehoshaphat, he says, he says, why are our forces opposing one another, fighting one another? Why are we putting up fortresses along our border? We have enemies that are coming to us from all over fighting against us. And if my forces go out against an enemy, it's possible they could overwhelm us. However, if we were to make an alliance with one another, our forces together could overwhelm them and we would be victorious. What a deal this would be. And plus, aren't we brothers? Aren't we brothers? Why should we fight like this? I can see with the craftiness of Ahab how he could possibly deceive Jehoshaphat into such an alliance. Remembering also with what we read earlier, the Lord had brought peace to Judah because he had put fear in the hearts of his enemies. The ones that were coming under attack was the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were pretty much constantly under attack because they were evil. So that's the way it was. An alliance was made. But let's call this spiritual era number one, an unholy alliance, or should we say divided alliance. This is part of part, uh, part two. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together? Least they agree. Okay, slide four. And after these years, some years, Jehoshaphat went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance uh, for the people that were with him and persuaded him, Jehoshaphat, to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, the king of Israel, of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat answered him, and he says, I am as you are. My people are your people, and we will be with you in war. Okay? Let's call this Spiritual era number two, making a vow, making a vow before seeking the Lord, making a vow before seeking the Lord. 
Verse 4, we see, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together the prophets, 400 men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead or not? And they said, Go up, go up, for the Lord's going to deliver it. He's going to deliver the enemies into the king's hand. Now, I need to make a quick note here. Later on in this chapter, we're told that the Lord put a lying tongue in the mouth of Ahab's prophets. So what they prophesied would be a lie. Okay. Now, but Jehoshaphat said, but is there any other prophet? Of the Lord here besides these 400 prophets that we may inquire of the Lord. This shows a little bit of discernment. Jehoshaphat had a sense he was being lied to. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Oh, yes, there is one of whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good unto me, but always evil, and his name is Micaiah the son of Imla. And the king of Israel called to his officials and said, go fetch me, Micaiah, the son of Imla. Now, this messenger went out to call Micaiah, and he spoke to him. And he said, behold, the words of the prophets, the false prophets, the 400 prophets, the prophets have declared good to the king. They're all in one accord. Let your words, therefore, I pray, be just like theirs. He's trying to intimidate Micaiah. But Micaiah says, as the Lord lives, even that which the Lord has said, that I will speak. So now when Micaiah came to the king of Israel, and the king said to Micaiah, he says, shall we go up to Ramach Gilead to battle or shall we forbear? And he says, go up, king. Go up, king. God's going to deliver you, the enemies. Now, King Ahab has a little bit of discernment because he realized that the prophet was mocking him. So he says, how many times Messiah Jurity that, what, that you say nothing to me but the truth in the name of the Lord. And that was a very serious phrase there. That I adjure you in the name of the Lord to tell me the truth. That meant tell me the exact truth and nothing short of the truth. So then Micaiah said, I see all of Israel upon the mountains as sheep and they have no shepherd. And the Lord says, these have no master." Let every man return, therefore, to his house in peace. Okay. Um, let's look at slide seven. Then the king of Israel said, take Micaiah away and take him back to Ammon, to the governor of the city. And then in verse 26, it says, listen to the mocking here. This is King Ahab. And he says, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread and the water of affliction. 
until I return in peace. And Micaiah says, if you return in peace, then the Lord has not spoken to me. And then he says, hearken, all you people. Error number three, listening or not listening to the prophet of the Lord. Listen to how complex this gets. This little alliance that we thought we were doing a good thing, joining forces, joining armies, joining people. Everything looks good on the surface, but that is as man looks at it, not as God looks at it. This is where the problem is. Listen to this. Now, if King Ahab obeys the Lord's prophet and sends his troops home, King Jehoshaphat would be off the hook, so to speak. Because now he'll be keeping his, his vows with the king, his treaty with King Ahab, and he would be obeying the word of the Lord. But in reality, Jehoshaphat finds himself in a jam. He finds himself bound by treaty, bound by vow to go to war. While Ahab is determined to stand defiantly against the prophet of the Lord, and to go to war. Dilemma. If Jehoshaphat listens to the Lord prophet and goes home, he breaks his vow and his treaty with Ahab. If Jehoshaphat keeps the vow with Ahab, he stands in defiance of the word of God. What a pickle. What a pickle. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself when I go into battle. But you, Jehoshaphat, by all means, dress in your royal garment. We want everybody to know that you are king. Take out your royal chariot. And that, and that white horse, yes, the white horse, by all means. Then that way, then that way, Jehoshaphat, uh, King Ahab is saying, I'm going to prove that God can be deceived. I'm going to prove that I can fool God and not his will, but my will is going to be done. Let's see what happens. Now, the king of Syria, who commanded the captains over the chariots, saying, don't fight against the foot soldiers. Don't fight them but seek out only the king of Israel. So now it came to pass that the captains of the chariots, they saw Jehoshaphat and they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they surrounded him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out unto the Lord and the Lord helped him. For it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned from pursuing him. And then there's a certain man who drew a bow at some time and smote, struck the king of Israel between the joints of his harness. Therefore, he said to his chariot, man, turn around and take me out of battle because I am wounded. And as the battle increased, howbeit the king of Israel was stayed up 
standing up, if you will, in his chariot against the Syrians until evening. And about the time that the sun went down, he died. You can think that your plans are the best plans. You can think something may sound like a good deal. You can think that your way is the right way to go. You may think that you can hide from God, deceive God, subvert the word of God. You can think that you can do these things. But this word right here tells me, he says, God sees everything. He knows everything. And you cannot deceive him and you're on your best day. This word is warning us in this sense. Don't think you can deceive God ever. Part three, reforms and divine intervention. After this battle, Jehoshaphat returns home. Slide number eight. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him, Jehoshaphat, and he says to the king, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them to hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there is some good things in you, in that you have taken down the groves out of the land and has prepared thy heart and has prepared his heart to seek God. After these words were spoken to King Jehoshaphat, he returned to Jerusalem and went throughout all the kingdom. He gathered and addressed judges, Levites, priests, and rulers of Judah. To the judges, King Jehoshaphat said, Take heed what you do, for you judge not for man but for God, who is with you in judgment. Wherefore, now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed what you do, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor is he a respecter of persons, nor does he take gifts. To the Levites and to the priests and to the chiefs of the fathers of Israel, uh, for they are judges of the Lord, saying, Judge in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a perfect heart. And to the chief priests over the matters of the Lord and to the rulers of the house of Judah for all the kings of matters, he says, deal courageously and the Lord will bless you. It was shortly after this, Jehoshaphat gets a messenger, has a messenger come to him, and it's bad news. The messenger tells Jehoshaphat that there is a huge army descending on Judah. Army so large that his army would be simply overwhelmed. There's no way. We can defeat this army. And it says that Jehoshaphat feared to sit and he uh, sought the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, 
even out of all the cities of Judah. King Jehoshaphat had already gone throughout all of Judah, teaching them the word of the Lord. Now, in your time of trouble, who do you call on? You call a fast, and the people hear the call. They recognize the urgency of the call, and they come. Who comes? Every, every man, woman, and child comes to Jehoshaphat out of Judah. And they stand before the Lord. And King Jehoshaphat stands before the temple and before the people of Judah. And he prays. He prays much like the prayer of Solomon in a lot of ways. He says, Lord, when we are in trouble, when we need help against our enemies in, take, in case of famine or disease or whatever the case may be, when we stand here before the Lord and we pray, Lord, hear our cry. This is one reason when we sing the Shema, where do we face? We face these. Why do we face these? Because Jerusalem is to our east. So Jehoshaphat prayed. And out of the midst of the congregation, a man by the name of Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the Holy Spirit of God came upon him in the midst of the congregation. Uh, with some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Harking ye all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For this battle is not yours. It is God's. You shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, or the Lord will be with you. Slide number nine. And, Jeho and Jehoshaphat bowed his head and face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Judah fell before the Lord and worshiped the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning, and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went forth, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall he be established. And believe his prophets, so you shall prosper. And when he had consulted the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and they, that they should praise the beauty of holiness, of his holiness as they went out before the army to say, praise to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I love this part right here. And when they began to sing, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord ambushed 
set an ambush against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and utterly slayed and destroyed them. And when they made, made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy the other. And the enemies were defeated. Where was Judah? They were standing still. They were standing still on a mountain looking down and watching the hand of God do his, do his mighty work. Now, do you understand what has happened? In the three phases that we have just gone through, seeking the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and gathering all in King Jehoshaphat, all of Judah, Teaching all of Judah, bringing them close. But then in the midst of all of this, he makes a bad decision and makes an unholy vow, unholy alliance. But did you realize what happened? Listen to this. King Jehoshaphat and Ahab believed that if they were to join their army forces together, they could defeat all their enemies. And when that indeed happened, when they did join forces, guess what happened? They lost. And King Ahab was killed. What happens next? That alliance that King Jehoshaphat had with King Ahab was now null and void. Ahab is dead. But look what happens next. The Lord sends this huge, overwhelming army, probably 10 times larger than the armies of Syria that they were fighting in Israel. We don't know how large it was. I'm just using a little bit of imagination. It would be like a tidal wave. So what does he do? He sends this huge army because now he has to, he's testing the heart of Jehoshaphat. Who are you going to call to protect you from your enemies? The northern kingdom is in ruin. The sheep are scattered, as the prophet has said. You can't call on Israel to come help you. Who are you going to call on now when the numbers are so overwhelming? I call on the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the Lord says, this battle's not yours. It's mine. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord come. Thank you.